EMS1.com is the number one online resource for the EMS community and authoritative voice in pre-hospital care. Our members enjoy access to exclusive content from top EMS educators and physicians, award-winning e-newsletters, original video series, member-only product discounts, access to free continuing education courses, and much more. If you're an EMS and not a member of EMS1, join the community for free today. Just go to ems1.com backslash registration. That's ems1.com backslash registration to become a member. I'm going to say it, there's four shopping days left till Christmas. I want to welcome you to Inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Savalero, and here is my little Christmas spirit, my good friend, Kelly Grayson. Kelly, what's going on down there in world-famous Pitkin, Louisiana? Saving lives, stamping out disease and pestilence, man. I'm, uh, I've got my uh, my shotgun loaded and, and waited for the, for the jolly old elf to appear on my roof. I'm having reindeer for Christmas. For dinner, for reindeer. For That's <laughs> right. Little smothered, little smothered reindeer. That's awesome. With yeah. taters. I, I, you're, you're just, you're just incorrigible. Add that to the stamping out disease and pestilence. And I'm incorrigible. Go ahead and say it. Let me hear you say it. I'm uh, well. I'm notorious, incorrigible, the whole nine yards. That's right. So the notorious KFG right here. That's, That's who right. We've got. So Christmas, you ready? It's coming up, man. Tuesday. I'm. I'm good, man. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I've, well, I'm. I'm ready because Nancy does all the shopping. I'll be. I'll just be like, hey, do we get my family anything this year? Do what? you send? Do you send her out for her own present, or do you actually go and buy that for her? Yes, I send her out for her own present. Do you get know? yourself something nice, sweet thing. Here's a twenty. <laughs> That's right. Take some money off the dresser. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Kelly, I think we have a really important show to discuss and. You know, I've kind of been going back and forth with this, and I know we did a show not too long ago on the subject of medical marijuana and EMS, but now, as of November, Missouri has passed a medical marijuana law, and I really think that from an EMS standpoint, we have to think about how will this impact our organizations. And, you know, I'm going to start off by, uh, you know, throwing this out. And then we've got a really great guest who's going to come in and kind of help us along with some of these uh, legal aspects. But first off, you and I have talked about suicide quite a bit, and we're losing first responders every day. And But when we think about the treatment of medical marijuana, where we talk about depression, PTSD, anxiety, and now we start to think about this from the standpoint of this being part of our organizations, are we really in a position to say that medical marijuana shouldn't be used by our employees who are having some of these challenges that it could potentially help in them not killing themselves in the long run. And I don't know the answer to that question, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it. But before we go further, I want to introduce our guest is David Givett. He's a longtime paramedic, and he is a defense attorney, an EMS defense attorney, that I wanted to get his opinion about how we can, you know, take our path through these muddy waters of medical marijuana. David, I want to thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Hey, gentlemen, it's my pleasure. I'm humbled and honored to be here. 
and uh, you'll get a bill for this session. So Kelly and I just don't <laughs> let anybody on. So we'd appreciate you remit that in five days. And but regard, we'll talk about that as we go. But there's my question, man. I'm going to lay that question out there, Kelly. I'm going to jump to you first, I think, and just ask you the question about: Do we need as EMS leaders to start to think about? allowing medical marijuana as part of our organization, knowing that it could help people who are in distress? I, I suppose so. You you raised an, an interesting question that I hadn't considered. Um, medical marijuana prescription for, for psychological reasons, for dealing with, you know, depression and, and PTSD and, and that sort of thing. I hadn't thought of it in those terms. I had mainly thought of, of you know, marijuana for, for pain relief and and relief of nausea and chemo and 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 I was thinking while we were in the lead up to the show it's like you know what would be what's the issue uh, is is the kind of person who's going to have a script for medical marijuana physically capable of working on an ambulance anyway and, and uh, up until you said that I didn't really think about uh, the folks that are are perhaps physically capable but are, are dealing with some emotional and psychological challenges so. Uh, yeah, I I really don't know. Um, it's something I haven't experienced here yet because uh, even though in in 2015 Louisiana passed a medical marijuana law legalizing medical marijuana, uh, the red tape has been so horrendous. It's still currently, you know, almost four years later, impossible to get. There are no medical marijuana clinics in Louisiana, even though it is illegal uh, because of of needless red tape and, and bureaucracy. But I, you know, Chris, our, our, our attitudes and mores about uh, about drug use and what is an, a, a drug of abuse and a and what is a uh, a therapeutic drug have shifted so much in in recent years. I think it is something we need to start considering. Um, uh, at the same time, I don't think that uh, I, I don't think its its use is going to flat take off, even if it were legalized in every state right now, because a lot of employers are, are still going to be somewhat reluctant to. Uh, to hire people or, or to allow uh, uh, even medical marijuana users uh, on an ambulance. Uh, that's my take on it. Yeah, David, I think from, from your side, I'd really be interested to know now, as we start to think about it from an organizational standpoint, are we in violation of not, you know, accepting these people who are, may you know, pre-employment, who may have a medical marijuana card, who wants to come work in our organization, do we really need to think about from the standpoint of the organization that we have to now allow people to come into our organizations that uh, are using this, this drug like any other drug? Well, I think that, you know, that, that's two separate, very important questions. I think the answer to the first question is it's absolutely time uh, that all of us think and appreciate uh the benefits that marijuana offers. Um, you know, I, I come from a, a relatively conservative family and, you know, we were always taught mostly about how bad it was and how negative it was. But I think back in my lifetime, physicians were on television promoting the health benefits of cigarettes. So our, our opinions about what is good and what is bad have, have evolved over the, over my lifetime for sure. And over the years, and if, if, if all of the, the prescription drugs that are out there are available and effective, then why not add one more? And I don't have a problem with it. I think that if it's, if it's effective at treating uh, problems that are uniquely affecting EMS providers, 
then it's a no-brainer. But that leads to the second question is, administratively and legally, how do we address it? And that, that becomes problematic. Uh, I, I think at this point, agencies have you know, two big conflicts. One, uh, a viable candidate who might be a very good care provider under the care of a physician or, or a medical professional prescribing marijuana for a, for a legitimate purpose, why would we exclude that person? On the other hand, very strict, uh, you know, anti-drug policies for lots of reasons uh, make it difficult for the, for the organization. Some organizations that accept federal funding will lose their federal funding if they don't have a zero tolerance policy. So I think absolutely, you know, agencies need to think about it, but I don't know if they're ready to act yet. Yeah, and I think that this is really the, the important part of where we're going to be. And, you know, I, I think, you know, from my standpoint, we think about things like, you know, the, uh, of course, the Drug-Free Workplace Act. I mean, that's something that we need to be aware of. I think we need to think about the fairness in federal drug testing, you know, under the State Laws Act. Certainly the, and I don't know if I'm saying any of these out of the way, uh, David, you know, please correct me, but also the uh, ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, right? So are these now going to protect people more than um, we thought they would? And, and from an organizational standpoint, we have to really consider that. I think a strict construction of the law as it is now, unfortunately, I think the answer is no. Uh, marijuana is still illegal federally, so any federal law related to anything in which marijuana might be injected, no pun intended or infused, um, I think that it's, it's, it's a non-starter on a federal level. Well, my question is, is you know, does it rise to the level of, of discrimination um, to, to deny someone employment based on even, even medical marijuana use, you know, what is it, what legally would prescribe an employer from saying, uh, we're not going to hire you, even if you're using medical marijuana prescribed by legally by a physician, we just don't want that. Uh, or, you know, or I guess I'm, what I'm asking is, is, is I don't think that marijuana users are a protected class, uh, that, that, employers are not allowed to discriminate against. Uh, would that be your take on no, it as well? You are, you're absolutely correct. But medical marijuana users are, in, 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 from a medical perspective, no different than any other prescription drug users, and that's not prohibited. I think what, what we're going to see, maybe not in 2019, probably in 20 or 21, we're going to see this issue tested in the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court's going to be faced with with discrimination on a medical, you know, under medical protection versus, uh, versus the violation of federal law. And then the question is going to be, is that federal law constitutional now? I, I think, I think this, this Pandora's box has been opened, and it's going to get very exciting over the next yeah, two or three years. Yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah, think we, yeah, 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 I'm sure. I figured you'd come down on the side of uh, of marijuana. You're out there in California. You, we know you're all out there. The Is it California? You're all doing the devil's lettuce out there. That's funny. It's yes, well, when it comes to uh, marijuana here in California. So let's talk. Well, we pay taxes. We pay taxes for it. So, That's you know. right. You do. But let's go ahead and talk about this. We'll, we'll switch gears a little bit. 
I guess one of the biggest questions that we have to think about is what defines impairment? So if we can think about somebody that is on, uh, that somebody who has a medical card is smoking marijuana based on anxiety, PTSD, depression, whatever it is. And, you know, how do we set this up within our organizations now to say, if you're smoking uh, and you come up positive, you're going to be terminated because really a positive drug test doesn't prove impairment. You know, it could have been something that they self-medicated or they, you know, with their prescription, they medicated with, uh, you know, five days ago and they haven't smoked in five days. But now all of a sudden they come up dirty on a urinalysis and uh, it's going to be grounds for termination. I mean, what's going to define impairment? Well, they just went impairment? to a fish concert. Uh, whatever. <laughs> well, here's what you're going to see, right? So right now... People are, are, are focused on THC. Is there THC in the system? But what it really breaks down to is whether it's carboxy, delta-9, or hydroxy-THC. When you ingest uh, psychoactive marijuana, you know, marijuana with actual THC in it, as opposed to CBD oils or whatnot, you're, the, the impairment comes from the delta-9 and the, and the hydroxy-THC. That only lasts a few hours. So if someone is on duty and they test positive for hydroxy or delta-9 THC, the, the presumption, although this is not scientific, the presumption is going to be that they're impaired. If it's just hydroxy THC, that could be days old. Now, impairment creates a whole new issue. Right now in California, uh, the new big thing in defense work is, is marijuana-related DUIs. Since there's no level or number or anything they can point to to determine actual impairment, they have to go by objective signs. They're using field sobriety tests, which are not designed to test for marijuana impairment. Right now, the industry is feverishly working on testing, you know, uh, objective field sobriety type tests that can test for marijuana impairment. And there's even a company that's developed a breathalyzer that can detect the presence, but even that can't detect impairment. David, David, I've got a follow-up question in that regard. You mentioned the 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 issue of impairment versus use, and and that uh, medical marijuana these days is is often engineered to to reduce the the components uh, that that produce the high. So that that was going to be my question. You know, um, does our our current screening tests able to break out the the different components, or do they they simply test for the presence of of THC? Oh no, they can absolutely test not only whether there's THC, but what kind of THC, and they can test down to um, the nanograms, the parts per million in the blood. Now, there's no number associated yet with impairment, but I'm I'm sure that. Within a year, there will be because lots the, of big companies are yeah. working on it. But the the types of THC uh, have have everything to do with with therapy versus impairment. Correct. Correct. So, well, a, a, anybody who ingests a psychotropic marijuana product will have delta nine and and hydroxy or carbo hydroxy THC in their system. Um, if if that's present and they're on the job. That's a problem, right? Yeah. Uh, but it's the, I, I think it's the, now, now I'm confused. Carboxy, hydroxy, one of those two. Hydroxy is impairing, carboxy is not. So if they test for carboxy and only carboxy THC shows up, and then you get the level in the parts per million and it's a low amount, then the presumption is they're not impaired. Well, so my they, presumption would be they're unimpaired. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that that's where we have to start to think about now, because if this is something that's going to happen within our organizations, 
And, you know, as an EMS leader, I have to think about the, you know, how are we going to allow this with our employees? Or are we going to take that, that zero tolerance? And it really is a dilemma. And David, I'm glad you're here to kind of help us to go through this. But, you know, it goes to the point of, you know, high blood pressure medicine. Uh, it goes to the point of, you know, opioids for pain. It goes to the point of ADD medicine, which is, you know, an amphetamine. Are we really in a position to say, from an organizational standpoint, you can't take this medicine? I got a prescription for it. Well, you can't take your ADD medicine. You can't take your opioids for pain. I mean, are we really in a place that we can do that effectively? No, absolutely not. In fact, that would be illegal. Um, and, and employers would suffer consequences. I think when it comes to opioids, you know, prescribed pain medication or marijuana, just like alcohol, the FAA has a 12-hour bottle-to-throttle rule. Perhaps that is, you know, something that EMS should, or all, or really all business should consider uh, because discriminating or, or, or denying or terminating or disciplining someone because they used a legally acquired, legally used properly, um, you know, properly used product is, is going to be very problematic. And I think the notion of, of zero tolerance in just about any respect uh, in this context is, is an antiquated notion that's not long for this world, shouldn't be. Yeah, and just to add, I mean, when we think about illicit drugs, the, 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 we're not talking about this in this standpoint. We're talking about drugs that are being, that are being prescribed. So uh, I think this really kind of opens, you said it before, it opens a Pandora's box, and I'm going to add to that. It opens a Pandora's box to find a can of worms, but Kelly, go ahead with your question. <laughs> well, you know, and, and that sounds like something Kelly would say. Yeah, and and Chris, in 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 you speaking of of uh, marijuana for for um, for mental health and and uh, mental health issues, uh, depression and PTSD and so on, it would, it would seem to me that in in those cases, the the psychoactive. Uh, uh, components of, of marijuana would be the most beneficial, unlike the, the other strains of medical marijuana that are, you know, engineered to to produce more of the therapeutic effects and less of the high. Um, it would seem that that uh, taking it for for uh, uh, mental health uh, uh, diagnoses would would be even more problematic because of the psychoactive nature. That's probably what would be therapeutic. Um, my I'm going to use the slippery slope argument here, and I hate to do that because it, it's such a cop-out, but it does strike me that, you know, we're here talking about marijuana and, and whether uh, we should legalize this and whether we need to be ready to uh, to accept this as, as um, uh, you know, a common or a, as a common occurrence and a commonly prescribed drug. Um there's there's some research out there now and and in practice and in uh, people being treated with uh, people with PTSD being treated with ecstasy. So um, if well, we let the, can, the marijuana get its cancer patients nose under the tent flap, what about ecstasy? I, I think that it's from from a legal standpoint, we're we're barely still reconciling the use of marijuana. So yeah. I agree that that it does create a slippery slope, but I think that ecstasy and and other such devices and products and drugs uh are, are long 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 out yeah. it's, 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 it's going to be a long while before those are even in the in the ballpark 
we yeah. can get prepared to, prepared to, to supply our guys with, with hacky sacks and Cheetos, but uh, oh, with not not quite ready for the uh, the glow sticks and, and rave. That's right, having a rave in the in the bay. So you know, it will make them more compassionate. <laughs> that's true. You know, one of the things they've been using they've been using <laughs> they've been using ecstasy for really for years with cancer patients who are really having problems with the thought of dying. And it was something that they were given to help them uh, think through. And, and, you know, so, I mean, I think that there are those opportunities that a lot of drugs could be part of care, but really, you know, you start to think about this as a, uh, not in the same realm, certainly as those stronger narcotics uh, or stronger drugs that are used in the, you know, by, uh, recreational users as far as, uh, you know, heroin, cocaine, so on and so forth. But so, but when we think about this from an organization standpoint, how, David, in your opinion, if this is something that we were going to consider, how do we put this into place and make it something that could, you know, be uh, tolerable within organizations? Well, I think the, the first question is, uh, for the for the or, the organization, the lawyers for the organization and the agencies to determine sanctioning the violation of federal law will affect their ability to generate revenue, to collect, to perform, to function. And I think that's the first question. Unfortunately, to, you know, compassion and care and all that stuff aside, it's a business first. And even agencies, even government agencies, have to run. And if uh, if 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 allowing that is going to prevent that, then it's a non-starter, I think. However, if it's not, then just like anything else, carefully thought out policies and protocols regarding its use. Now, you, you made me think of something when you talked about the use of ecstasy for cancer patients. You've got to contextualize it because by the time a cancer patient reaches the point that ecstasy is a, is a modality of treatment for them, they're probably not fit to work on an ambulance. Yeah. And the same thing with any other of the stronger drugs. When they get to that point, they're not on an ambulance anyway. So I don't think we're actually having that conversation. You know, it's, it's one thing to think that, you know, if, let's say medical marijuana or even recreational marijuana is, is legal in, in a particular state and, and what issues that poses for EMS employers in that state. Um, but it is still illegal federally. And I think we kid ourselves uh, when we when we uh, we're kidding ourselves if we if we believe that we are immune from from federal uh, pressure in this regard because just about every ambulance service and EMS agency you will encounter relies on one big federal payer and that's CMS. Um, what would uh, does does CMS reimbursement uh, provide the federal government with any leverage over over um, uh, you know, regulating whether whether uh, EMS workers in a particular state can can use marijuana or not. Of course, of course. If if, if the federal government will 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 exclude payments to agencies that don't comply with federal law, and those agencies don't get paid, I mean that that that's that's a, that's a self solving problem. Don't do it. Yeah, again, though, we're playing with those can of worms, though, in the sense of that is probably going to be a legal fight. So, uh, and I guess there would be a difference here, David, and, and this will probably be my final question before Kelly gets to his rap, 
is that <laughs> I'm sure that there's would be a difference between states that have recreational marijuana and states that would have medical marijuana. How do we deal with that at the organizational level? Can we say, if you have a medical card, there's going to be some tolerance, but we do not want you using uh, recreational marijuana and being an employee here? I think you can, and I think it boils down to two things. Number one, a, a patient with a genuine recognized medical condition that's being treated is one class. And one, I don't want to say one kind of, of individual, but I'm going to say one kind of individual. The recreational drug user who's just doing it for fun, um, I think that creates, uh, that, that they're certainly not protected. And I, I, I would question whether that's the kind of individual who we want representing the industry, the agency, or, you know, the men and women who are, who are a part of it. You know, it's 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 my sense that that uh, employers are granted a great deal of leeway in who they hire and why they exclude people. Uh, you know, aside from the aforementioned protected classes, um, you know, we've got EMS employers now that ban the use of cigarettes, not just on premises, but they test their employees uh, for tobacco use. And, and that's a condition of employment. Uh, so if they can ban some ban recreational at-home smoking of, of uh, legal tobacco products, I, I see no reason why they would, they would put themselves in any legal risk by, by banning recreational uh, marijuana use as well. But, hey, that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. Is medical marijuana or even recreational marijuana going to pose issues for EMS employers in the future? And if so, how might we overcome those issues? We'd like to hear your thoughts. Email us at the show at ems1.com. And for myself, co-host Chris Ceballero, and our special guest this week, David Gibbett. Thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week. <laughs>